0: to me. WSradio.com. Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com Welcome back to The Coaching Show with your host, Master
1: Certified Coach, Christopher McCullough.
0: And welcome to uh, our November 9th edition. I just noticed that my voice today doesn't sound like my voice normally, right? Like we're both sort of... Yeah. Uh, uh. Uh. Um, we're delighted to welcome to our microphones and continue our hour with Jonathan Fields. He is the founder of Good Life Project. You definitely want to find out all about them, including the Good Life Project camp which uh, Clarice and I are already going to sign up for, I think, uh, and go to. uh, That would be Clarice Connolly. She's a coach. She is an extraordinary powerhouse of a woman. And you can find out more by going to her her website, heartandsoul.coach. Heartandsoul, spell it out, dot coach. You can find out more about Jonathan Fields, our guest, by going to goodlifeproject.com. Register for not only his podcast and his video um, and other media uh, output, but also... Check out that camp thing. That's a brilliant idea. His book is How to Live a Good Life, uh, Soulful Stories Surpassing Science and Practical Wisdom. Jonathan, just before the break, we were talking about you know fear and how to live a good life. Was there something in this book, and in, in, as you wrote it and interviewed people for the book, that you were surprised to find or that you found particularly either valuable or useful?
1: Yeah. Um, man, there are so many things that um, were big, <laughs> big moments of awakening for me. One of the biggest, um, for me, I, I had a hunch about going into, um, but it was really validated. And that is the role of happiness in living a good mm. life. And the idea that it's actually not necessarily all that it's cracked up to be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what we found actually and what the research has started to bear out is that the sort of very pointed, focused, maniacal, direct pursuit of happiness um, can sometimes make us less happy than we started and there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that happiness is more of a snapshot. It's not the movie of our lives. It's a moment, um, and much like an athlete who you know trains to be at their peak when it's most necessary, it's not a state that's really intended to be persistently, you know, so persistently there. It's it's moments that that drop down into our lives, which are wonderful when they happen, um, and at the same time most of us feel them. And then we say, well, let me try and lock that down and make that my persistent state 24-7. Mm-hmm. And then we wake up to the fact that it's the rare person who's actually capable of doing that. And then when we don't meet our expectations about 24-7 giddiness, we actually beat ourselves up for then failing at happiness. Right. <laughs> and then we end up making ourselves less happy than when we started. And then you blend this with some interesting science, which is that turns out that We are in control of our happiness partway. And our genetics are also partly in control of our happiness. So Mm -hmm. we each have what you could call a a happiness thermostat or a happiness set point. There's a certain genetic control, which depending on the research is probably somewhere around half of your sort of set point for happiness is controlled by just, you know, the the code that you were given. And half of it or so is controlled by what we do, you know, how we interact with life. So if you're looking at your neighbor, who's just kind of like wired, you know, their DNA is wired for constant joy, and you're somebody whose DNA is wired for, yeah, you know, I have my moments of happiness, but overall, I'm just kind of even, and then you hold yourself to the standard of of forcing yourself to be as persistently, you know, just happy-go-lucky as your neighbor. Again, we're, we can do many things to make ourselves happy, mm-hmm. but... In fact, that can end up backfiring and make us less happy. So what I found was that happiness matters. But like Viktor Frankl said in Man's uh, Search for Meaning, happiness like success um, ensues. It's not pursued. So happiness comes much more readily, not when you're directly trying to make it happen, but when you're actually engaging in all sorts of other activities that deliver this, you know, these hits of happiness, these states of happiness almost as a side effect of these other things that you're doing.
2: Mm, Got it. I feel like oftentimes, like, you know, the question is, is how do people define happiness, right? Like how, I feel like it's almost individualized to the person because what I find is. is happiness might not be what somebody else does too, right? So how do you get someone who's maybe constantly pursuing happiness or trying to live a life of happiness to kind of stop and redefine that for themselves? I really get clear on
1: that. And that is such a great point too. And that's also one of the big stumbling points in the science around this is that you cannot define happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no objective definition that works for everyone. And in fact, when you look at the science, the way that they measure is they'll ask people questions like, uh, you know, did you laugh three times in the last 24 hours? Or were you happy yesterday? Because they can't tell somebody this is what it means to be happy. Right. What the researchers have learned and what, you know, it's it's really crystal clear is that we really have no business telling anybody else um, what happiness is in their life or what it isn't. And that's one of the things that makes the science really gray around it as Mm -hmm. much as it's researched in many books as there are. It's one of those things where you just kind of know it when you're in it, you know, Um, and we define it differently. So somebody may, you know, a parent may look at a child who has worked so hard to overcome a struggle and then see them in a moment where they've actually succeeded and you know and and that parent may have been in that struggle and suffering that parent may be enduring all sorts of other things but in that moment they experience their child's success um as their own and there's this sense of just you know unapologetic joy as if um in, uh, there's um there's a word in, in Yiddish called naches, which essentially translates to the joy that you feel for somebody who you love so um, with, so unconditionally that you experience their success as your own. And mm-hmm. so there may be tremendous struggle in that moment. And it may not be this feeling of like, oh, I'm laughing hysterically. But you may feel like in this moment, I am so deeply happy. Even though it may you may be in almost kind of like a steady, slightly melancholy state, there's an emotion. So one of the things that I learned too is you really we have no business defining what that feels like for anybody else. It's more about just sort of, you know, taking a little bit of an inventory ourselves and, mm-hmm. and sort of asking ourselves, for me, what is what does that state look like and feel like?
0: It's really good. Really good. I appreciate all the all the goodness and reminders today especially. Um we've got about Two minutes left. Our time has pretty much flown by here today and we've learned a lot. I want to sort of turn it over to you, though. We've got two minutes and I think what I'd love to know is what what you see as next or as possible for our country and our, our people next and uh, headed towards a good life. And then, if you will, a parting thought or a parting shot, something you'd like for 25,000 or so coaches to think about today or to take on. Are you up for it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take those two questions. Um, what do I see as next? What do I see as a possibility that is now open to us? And I think that's more truthful dialogue. I think that's, you know, there's so much has surfaced over the last six months and we're now forced to deal with it in a way where we can't just sort of keep on keeping on. And as much pain as is coming up with that, my sense is that if we embrace this as a moment of time for truthful dialogue on a level that... We haven't been truthful before. It could be a profound turning point, both individually and societally. And then a, a closing thought is, most of us move through life and one of the biggest sources of suffering is that we live largely reactively. Um, we wake up in the morning and we start the day by responding to other people's ideas, agendas, stories, and then you know, every day becomes just, how can I not fall too far behind? My invitation is to actually check yourself. And start to ask the question before you do anything or respond to anything Does this matter to me? And before you do anything, you know, really take that inventory and only say yes to the things that genuinely move the needle that are profoundly meaningful in your lives. Make this switch from being reactive and mindless to being intentional and aware.
0: And that is a media expert, (laughs) hitting the mark beautifully. Jonathan Fields, thank you so much for being with us today of all days. Thank you for the book, How to Live a Good Life, and for the work you do at goodlifeproject.com. We're delighted to have you, and uh, thank you for the reminders. Well, Clarice, that's another edition of The Coaching Show behind us. Uh, We remind you that we bring you people out on the cutting edge of coaching and human development every week in this place. We will talk to you next week.
2: 6813. That's 1 548 6813. Do you love wine, but it doesn't love you back in the morning? Then it's time to try Alcotox, the ultimate hangover cure. Alcotox is a dietary supplement that reduces the harmful side effects of alcohol. And it benefits all alcohol consumers, not just those who occasionally overindulge. So now, for less than the cost of a drink, you can wake up hangover-free. To learn more, go to vinvillage.com and let Alcotox make hangovers a thing of the past.